0: Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life that totally rocks. You're listening to Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS podcast for busy women who want to ditch the fatigue, find balance and feel great with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest is someone I've known for 20 years. We went through college together in Melbourne and then not too long after that, she moved to the Sunshine Coast. Well, I've followed her here, which means we can now have the occasional cheeky wine and chat about (laughs) all things naturopathy in real life. She Mm. niched herself in the fertility space and has also expanded on that to cover women's hormonal health of all ages. Because reproductive health spans much further than just having babies, it often determines your quality of life way past that into the ages of 35, 40, 45, 50, and beyond. Sometimes we get forgotten about in the medical system because, you know, if you've got period troubles, but you're not planning to get pregnant, just go on the pill and carry on, right? Mm -mm. I think we can do better than that. So today we're talking about a topic that is much needed for women of a certain age, and that is... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I told you I wouldn't get through the intro. <laughs> so professional. Okay, and that is we're talking about how to have a healthy period and a healthy cycle right into middle age. Please welcome to the show my beautiful friend and the very lovely Vanessa Lamarro.
1: Yay. Thanks, Jules. What a beautiful intro, and I'm sorry for making you laugh.
0: <laughs> I just did say before we hit record that we're not going to get through it without giggling.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was a beautiful intro and, and very well said. I think, um, you know, a lot of people don't talk about period changes, you know, in the late 30s, early 40s, late 40s, early 50s. And um, I I find a lot of women um, sort of suffering in silence, like not not actually talking to their friends or maybe not getting very good advice from their GPs as well.
0: Yeah. And I think also people just not prioritising it because if you're in your – 20s, 30s, 40s, and you're actively trying for a baby, or you're hoping to conceive sometime in the near future. It becomes top of mind, and it becomes like this big priority. And if you have mm-hmm. period your troubles, you're like, "Oh, geez, I've got to get that sorted." But then there's something that flicks over, isn't there? After that that period in a person's life, and then it's like, "Oh, it's just this thing I have to suffer through." But you know, mm-hmm. I, should, I should get this looked at, but uh I'll do it next month. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah exactly. Yeah and I think um also as you just said for for women that do choose to have have a family the period and their cycle have a purpose but after they've had their children Um, it can become more of a burden, especially if it starts to become more symptomatic and less enjoyable um, or more troublesome. So I think um, maybe looking at the benefits of cycling, you know, all the way up to menopause and the benefits we get from the hormones and how to optimise our cycles way up to menopause is really important and just sharing information around that.
0: So tell me, Why do we want to have a cycle all the way into menopause? Why not just take the pill? Come on, I'm just being, I'm just throwing it out there. Very unnaturopathic question, I know. Why, Why do we want to take what seems to be like the harder path?
1: Well, the benefits are our natural hormones. So there's a reason why if someone goes through um, early menopause, which would be potentially in someone's 20s or 30s, they would be put on hormone replacement therapy because it's just too early and they're not going to get the benefits for all the protective benefits of estrogen and progesterone on things like their bone health, things like their mental health, their cardiovascular health. There are so many things that estrogen and progesterone do in the body apart from make us have periods and ovulate. Um, and have babies, they're actually very protective and beneficial in many different, basically every cell of the body. So if we can encourage healthy progesterone levels for as long as we can, and healthy estrogen metabolism for as long as we can, we kind of we're getting the benefits for as long as we can. Even things like skin health and hair health, and all of everything that you know you would consider, and, and definitely mood.
0: Yeah. So what, I mean, because a lot of, I'm just, you know, I'm just being devil's advocate. I love that. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people would say their moods are worse when they're off the pill and not, and, and having a natural cycle because, you know, like the PMS and some people even PMDD and all, all those wild ebbs and flows that happen in the second half of your cycle. Uh, So Tell me about the benefits on your mood of, of having a, a real cycle.
1: Well, I think there's two parts to that. One, I disagree in that. <laughs> I, was hoping I, would. I actually see a lot of people with mood disturbances on the pill and a lot of the time they've Gone on the pill so early that they just think it's who they are, and you know they might have started it as a teenager because they had heavy or painful periods, or they had acne, or maybe they were becoming sexually active, and that was what their mum did, and so and that's what the doctors recommended. Um, But it becomes, you know, I see them and they're just they're complaining about meltdowns and you know depression and anxiety, and I'm like, have you ever trialed being off the pill? And they're like, no, not really. And it's quite surprising, often if. But if you can support, you know, obviously with naturopathic support, um, I find my experience with my clients is that um, more often than not, their moods improve off the pill as opposed to being on the pill. But I can see what you're saying because in, in some ways being on the pill kind of makes your hormones more stable. So you're not getting the ebbs and flows, the natural cycle. But if you have ebbs and flows that are healthy, you can really minimise things like the PMS. PNDD can be a little bit more of a tricky situation, but in my experience, some very simple natural interventions, dietary and supplemental, can pretty much banish PMS. Like I I always say, oh, you know, like I'm really good at this. You're not going to have this in two months' time because it just responds. I shouldn't say that, it's so bad. Um, (laughs) But I'm so confident with PMS that it's just, it, it just, goes away. So yeah, I think it's more to do with maybe our body's not having the maybe nutrition or there too much stress or too much toxicity like things in a modern lifestyle that maybe have a detrimental effect on on our natural cycles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I was hoping that's the answer you were going to give. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> And, that, and that's it like you know if, if you went off the pill and you didn't get help to have a healthy cycle like you might feel worse at first but if you get back exactly. and you do the right things like you can end up in a much much
1: Mm. and if you think about the hormones like every pill is different obviously there's different types of estrogen estrogen and progest well it's see, that's the other thing it's not estrogen it's an estrogen like compound or it's a progestin that's more like testosterone or it is like progesterone um you're getting like the, these these hormone like compounds actually can have more detrimental effects on the body whereas our natural um you know like endogenously or internally made uh, hormones have a lot of benefit and they're what our body is designed to respond to. So, you know, it's not the same. You can't say, oh, I'm getting estrogen and progesterone from the pill. You're not. You're getting something like it but that can have some actual detrimental effects.
0: Yeah. So what sort of detrimental effects would you see the most in clinic? What are people coming in with?
1: Being on something like the oral contraceptive pill? Yeah. um, I would say... Definitely mood would be a big, a big thing. Um, I would say things like hair changes, like um, hair um, getting thinner. I would like, it's, it's, it's more sometimes that I find a lot of women on the pill actually still get PMS. So once they go into the sugar pills, they will actually have low mood for a few days before their, their period kicks in. For, for some of them, um, I mean, it, the pill can improve certain things like painful periods and heavy bleeding, but it can also do the opposite, I find sometimes, where it's actually not. I have some girls come in that both got um, the bar and taking the pill on top of that. Um, so they're just getting, yes, yeah. I've had two in Explain the last
0: two that. weeks. Hang, I don't, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's just back up a moment what are people, Literally, why would you need a contra So the, the bar for anyone who's listening is like a contraceptive implant, right? Yes, yes. Why would you need both?
1: Because in the two girls I've seen actually in the last uh, either week or two weeks, can't remember, but um, they had the bar. It worked for it, it the, in both of their cases. It was for heavy bleeding had the bar, it worked for a short amount of time, about six months, then it stopped working. So the doctors just left the bar in and then just topped up with the oral contraceptive pill. So um, I uh-huh. just think in my brain, I'm like, oh, your poor body, just think of the of the overload. of Because the thing you've got to look at, their liver has to metabolise that. It's going to affect their microbiome. It's going to um, affect their, you know, like neurotransmitter production, just all sorts of different things that we no. don't.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just picking up the pieces of my brain from when my. Head um, was why would you not take the bar out? It's not that far under the skin. Like, just get in there and get it out. Like, why would they just leave it in and then top up? I think it's probably that
1: that kind of hard hitting approach. Of the more we can throw it, the more suppression we can throw at this the better Um, because obviously it's affecting that brain ovary communication and progestins also do have a um, uterine thinning um, effect which is desirable obviously with heavy bleeding Um, but it's yeah it's dumb (laughs) (laughs) that's my professional opinion
0: Yeah, but we're naturopaths, so, you know. What would we know? <laughs> it's, it's just plain old dumb. It's just, oh, like, yeah. oh, my, seriously, like stuff like that just really gets my goat mm. sometimes. But there you go. That's in,
1: in, in the last one to two weeks I've had two presented wow. with that. Which,
0: which means it's a new thing and there'll be more of them coming. Exactly. Some, somewhere there was a study somewhere that said that this might help. Yeah, yeah. Great. So, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, What sorts of period issues do you see popping up in your clients, especially ones who are, you know, around our age, heading towards or already in perimenopause? Yeah. Look,
1: so there's definitely different types of issues that I see coming up with, say, my clients in their 20s or teens and potentially early 30s to late 30s. And forties, um, and really, probably the most common things would be having heavier flow or a longer period, um, and claudia heavier periods, um, having potentially a shorter cycle, so um, cycling more regularly and having periods coming a bit too early, um, having maybe breast type um, symptoms like. Painful, more painful breasts or even developing lumpy lumpy breasts. And then almost seeing things that you would think potentially in your late 30s or 40s would be too early to see that we usually associate with um, menopause like night sweats and um, even hot flushes and um, just more PMS-type symptoms, so that week before the period becoming more symptomatic um, potentially with mood changes, um, maybe things to do with, you know, headaches and um, other kind of symptoms that seem to ramp up and fluid retention. And it's it's due to the changes that are going on in the body and the difference in the hormones as we get a little bit older. So um, I would say you, you, you're seeing less of things like PCOS, um, potentially endo being a little bit more well-managed in general, but more heavy bleeding potentially. So it's it just it, it's a bit of a change of, of presentation with that as, as women get
0: older. Why does PCOS get better, not worse? I believe it's
1: because um, we're, oh, we've got, I, I just, I know that when, like on ultrasound, PCO or polycystic ovaries is less likely to show up even though that's just one factor with PCOS, I think it might have a bit to do with that our androgens do start to decline as we get a bit older. Um, it seems to—I actually—that's a really good question. I know that it becomes—I know that it is less prevalent in older people, but I know that definitely PCO is less is less seen on ultrasound. Um, but I don't actually—I I don't actually know why it becomes less.
0: Do you think also it's again one of those things where if you're in that age group where you're trying to have babies, you're trying to conceive, like mm. having an erratic cycle, like like the sort that comes with PCOS because with PCOS mm. you can have, you know, a normal mm, cycle and cycle. a really long cycle and there's yeah. missed periods and it's really difficult then to figure out your window to conceive in. So yeah. is it just that people are seeking out help more for it at that age? <laughs>
1: Maybe, maybe it's less important to women if they're older, if they're having a long cycle. It's like, well, that's a benefit to them because they don't have as many periods. <laughs> <What>? Yeah, <that's laughs> a, I, I would like. I'm going to find out more about that because that's a really good question. And I just assumed it was because because it doesn't make sense from an insulin perspective because as we get older, we become less insulin sensitive, and mm. um, so that would be a contributing factor. You would think. Um, But I do know that our androgens decline. So, for instance, testosterone reduces, DHEA reduces, and I just wonder if that androgen decline is what, and then we have potentially anovulatory cycles, so less follicles on the ovaries that then are producing less hormones like testosterone and estrogen. So it may be a combination of factors, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you might be right about the testosterone because that is like that's one of the first things to go on a hike, isn't it, in perimenopause?
1: Yeah, it is, and and we use um or I recommend to a lot of my fertility clients who are in their late thirties, like talking potentially thirty eight plus or forties, um, to talk to their um their practitioner, their sorry, their fertility specialist if they've got one about going on DHEA um and because that is a that can then improve testosterone levels or some some are actually on straight up testosterone as well um because that helps with egg quality especially if they're going through IVF but even for nat- people still trying to conceive naturally it um it seems to be a very important factor for um um egg
0: quality. yeah do uh. women need dhea going into sort of 40s and 50s as well or do you find that you tend to find more high dhea at those stages
1: i find it just diminishing over like my experience with looking at bloods is that basically the older you get the lower it is and um dhea obviously has um some some cool benefits. You don't want it too high though, because then it can lead to things like PCOS and androgen excess. Um, but it's I I believe it's a natural decline. Like there's different um, reference ranges for different age groups, and but I think it can go too low, especially if someone has had some adrenal insults like high yeah. stress. Um like everyone. I, like like the whole planet right now. Yeah.
0: You get DHEA. You get DHEA. <laughs> everyone gets DHEA. <laughs> like free lollies. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Um, tell me what are these cool benefits of DHEA? Well, anti-aging, I kind of like that one just mm, personally. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: um it's involved in it's it's very much like um it's it's important for muscle mass, mood, um, bone health, um, yes, I said anti aging. Um, and it's obviously a precursor to our um some of our good androgens that give us libido and motivation and strength and um yeah, yeah, some pretty cool benefits, I reckon.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think there are definitely some perks there. Mm. Yeah. All right. How do we make DHEA naturally like if you don't want to go and get it from the doctor if but if you you know if you think your levels are borderline to low like how how can you boost your production naturally Look
1: theoretically supporting adrenal health is is the best thing so you know obviously this is your area of expertise yep. um <laughs> <laughs> but from my humble little experience um I always recommend you know, that we look at how do we support their, their their adrenal health. So obviously using natural medicines that support healthy adrenals, healthy HPA axis, um, and also obviously lifestyle and dietary interventions, low stress, as much as we like reducing stress, supporting self-care, supporting sleep, supporting good circadian rhythms, all that sort of thing that supports healthy adrenal functions would be what my answer would be. But what about you, Jules? What would you do?
0: pretty much exactly what you said but, um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely working on on the stress because there's yeah so much going on in the world over the last couple of years but also what i've been seeing in my clinic is uh when we test dhea we're often getting back high levels in women as well interesting so, I, uh, I really don't see
1: that but maybe maybe we are looking for different stuff too
0: yeah, I think, well, I think we are looking, we have slightly different clients, so we probably, yes. yeah, but um, yeah, I have, I've seen a few high DHEA tests come back just in the, I mean, you do get them occasionally, but I've seen a, a few extras in the last few months, and I just wonder whether it's a bit of a product of the last two, two and a half years with all the stress and, and trauma that's yeah. been going on.
1: Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I was just going to ask, what do you like? Have you seen any um, commonalities between those clients in terms of their presentation um, or what they've had going on?
0: Uh, I think they've. I'd have to backtrack through my records, but I think they've all been people in who in quite inflamed states. Okay. Yeah. Because so, I also I think there's a lot of mould illness and, and mm, there's a lot of inflammation going on in in my practice at the moment as well.
1: Yeah. And welcome to the Sunshine Coast and all the rain. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> moldy,
0: moldy, moldy. I believe it's been renamed the Nunshine Coast at the moment. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yes. Um, you promised me sunshine and lollipops and I, I do nothing but torrents of water. Uh, I, 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 I forgot to mention about the rain. Yeah, it's all right. I was only moving from the northern rivers to here, so, you yes, know, same, Yes, same. Uh, yes. yes. Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot going on at the moment. And, like, I, I honestly wouldn't mind betting we're going to be seeing, like, low vitamin D in Queenslanders, uh, mm-hmm. more prevalent because like I, I haven't been out much over the last mm-hmm. week and a half it's been we've had one sunny day out mm-hmm. of the last sort of 10 to you yeah. know, 10 to 12 so that was that, that Wednesday yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everyone just dropped everything and went out and basked <laughs> like lizards like oh my god sun. But what is um, yeah? What is that doing to people up here? i oh, yeah. I hate to think because we're just so mm. used to taking things up here like vitamin D levels for granted and and being mm-hmm. able to make serotonin because we go out in the sun enough. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this this summer, if you want to call it that, in inverted commas, <laughs> has definitely changed. The, yeah, the amount of sunshine that any Queenslander has gotten, I think. So mm-hmm. yeah, not good, not good, nunshine Coast. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah. So do you, do you see a lot of local clients or do you do Zoom as well? So I would say I've never actually looked at
1: the um, the like the, um, percentages, but every day I would do a couple of Zooms to people, different parts of Australia. Um, but I would say probably maybe two-thirds would be in clinic. But some days it just feels like I've got a full Zoom day. So it's, it's hard to say, but definitely both. But a lot, I would say, primarily Sunshine Coast. Yeah,
0: and Mm -hmm. you you work very closely with doctors as well. And I I know this. I know. I know this is a question I'm asking for because I already know this. Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, like this is a statement, not a question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, tell me how you do that and how how you manage to get to do that because some people, some naturopaths are like very shy of doing this.
1: Well, I've got a very scientific method, which is asking my clients when they see doctors, um, how they found them, as in how they found their manner, um, whether they told them that they were seeing a an naturopath, how open they were to that. It's kind of like a backwards thing, and then mm. they go, "Oh yeah, no, they were really supportive." Of and as soon as they say yes, they were really supportive, I like I write down the name. And then I start referring to that doctor and then I say, make sure you say Vanessa, the naturopath sent you. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay. And then I just sort of like request you know some things you know maybe say maybe ask if they'd be willing to have a look at your thyroid or whether they'd be if we'd be able to have a look at some basic nutritional markers like vitamin d and b12 and um, i'll just write that um, and sort of write if your doctor feels appropriate please consider i don't tend to write as many doctor's letters more because i'm time poor and i kind of not that's that's a bit of a everyone's time, pool, but you know, like uh, I just don't prioritize that, but it seems to work. Okay. Um, I will, I will write a letter if it's something too hard for the client to be able to express. Like if I'm thinking, oh, I think they might have, you know, MCAS, or I think they might have this or that. And it's the client's not really understanding it. I'll write a letter to help, you know, get my message across. Um, and that seems to work. Cause then it becomes a bit of a, I don't know, they're, they're pretty open and It's more of a one way, I would say, like I tend to refer more than they refer back, but they're very open to helping my clients, which is really what I want. And um, that seems to be, a you know, and then usually what happens is they get really busy and then they close their books and then I've got to find someone else. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm hammering a couple of GPs at the moment. But yeah yeah that's the that's the worst part is that happens a lot um but yeah I've got some really lovely female doctors at the moment on the coast that I'm sort of sending quite a few uh, clients to and that seems to be going really well and obviously I share rooms with a gynecologist here at um, Fudrum Hospital and that I think just by proxy that's kind of cool too like the GPs respect that um so yeah it's um i very unscientific, haven't really thought about it much. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: At what point do you tend to refer people? What sort of things do you see that make you press the button on that one?
1: Um, things where I think there could be something more sinister going on, for sure, um, Anytime I'm not, and especially if they haven't had investigations. I really like people working with a GP or, if we're talking reproductive, a gynecologist and or a GP. Um, and me because I find they have skill sets and investigative techniques that I can't do or can't order or can order but will cost the client a bit of money. Um, So I prefer to, and I just really like that safety net of having a medical um, investigation as part of someone's workup. Um, So in terms of referral to um, a medical practitioner like a GP or a gyno, I would almost like everyone that presents with anything more than PMS. Like if someone's presenting with um, pelvic pain or you know period pain or or flooding bleeding, um, I definitely want them to have at least an ultrasound and bloods and have someone like check that off in the medical profession. So I'm not missing something that could actually be dangerous or something that we need to flag. And also, of course, it then helps with my. Treatment because if I'm treating fibroids, that's different to adenomyosis, it's different to just straight up menorrhagia. You know, like I'm going to potentially use different um, medicines, natural medicines, sorry, um, for different conditions.
0: Yeah. And some of the conditions can often, there's a lot of crossover, like they can often present very similarly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, if someone's got heavy bleeding and they do an ultrasound they find a, a big polyp then that's going to be much harder for me to treat um without surgical removal sometimes they, they shrink or go away but you know um that's different to if someone has just a thick uterine lining so that's going to be much easier for me to treat um so just looking at those kind of i guess some um, structural uh issues as well
0: yeah, so let's mm. talk about some of those issues because they, these are the things that can pop up sort of 35, 40, 45 and onwards. Uh, fibroids is a huge one. Isn't mm-hmm. It? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's it is really um, quite prevalent, and because uh, fibroids are they're uh, benign tumors that grow in the uterus or on the outside of like in all different parts of the uterus, um, but they're very estrogen. Um, They grow because of um, excess estrogen generally and genetic predisposition. For instance, African-American women, they have a much higher um, chance of having them than, say, Asian women. And, you know, so there's certain genetic components at play. Um, But it's, it's usually because as we go into that perimenopausal time, our progesterone is declining which offsets estrogen and our estrogen is going on a bit of a roller coaster and so um, that uh, those high surges of estrogen can cause things like to grow like polyps and fibroids and breast you know you know fibrocystic breasts and cysts and all sorts of different um growths on uh estrogen sensitive tissues
0: yeah and I mean, estrogen, that estrogen rollercoaster is responsible for a lot of things, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. And the problem is it is a rollercoaster because with the Mm -hmm. progesterone, we know it's going, we know it's going declining and we can support that the best that we can through both natural and potentially even um, medical um, support. Um, But, yeah, you can go from having like really high estrogen symptoms to having low estrogen symptoms. And I see both sort of almost like co um, Habitating in one person, right? Yes. But 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 often someone will be more dominant, you know, like in one or the other. Um, so sometimes I'll see someone who's, you know, the FSH is still sort of on the lower side, so they're premenstrual, might be like early 40s, but they're getting a lot of those what we would associate with menopausal symptoms, like um, night sweats, heart palpitations, hot flushes. Um, mood disturbance like more of a depressed mood potentially Um, and that's where we've actually got more more of a low estrogen state and i actually support their estrogen whereas i'd say probably the more more likely but um scenario is that higher estrogen state with the heavy periods breast pain fluid retention irritable mood that sort of thing Mm, yeah not Um, fun really not no no it sucks doesn't it but there are lots of awesome things we can do to support a woman who's going through all of these different types of things you know once you once you do that detective work it's our job um then we can go right so these are the the interventions that we need to utilize to to help you so it's there's there's basically there's nothing that's unhelpful
0: yeah nothing that's unhelpful um, there's our quote <laughs> <clone laughs> there's nothing that's unhelpful <laughs> my excellent grammar it's like that Marie Folio quote, everything is figure outable. Yes, I love that. I love that. I used that for
1: years. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of that. I'm going to write that down again. I'm absolutely, I used to have that on a sticky note on my computer screen. <laughs>
0: yeah. and I'm going to put, there's nothing that's unhelpable. That's yes.
1: Unhelpful. <laughs> Make so, sure you put copyright Vanessa Lamar 2022.
0: Absolutely. It's all yours, mate. It's all yours.
1: I'm proud of that. <laughs>
0: So, so tell me what else are you looking for? Like, like what, a, what, what do you test for? Like, you know, if you're looking at, at hormones, like do you run Dutch testing? What do you do?
1: You know, I'm, I, I'm probably a later doctor to d- Dutch testing. I actually really like it. Um, but I, I guess I'm often also aware of like I'm aware of client spending and sometimes my brain goes, "Wow, this is obviously estrogen, you know, excess." Like the the, the, te- the good case taking kind of like really makes it quite obvious what they need, and I and I sort of think, and I, I'll run it by them. I'll go, "Look, we can spend five hundred dollars on this test, which will give me a lot more data, but also will probably just confirm what I think is going on. And what we could do is we could just, you know, give it a couple of months, treat it as that." And if we're not fully resolved or not feeling like everything's tickety boo, then we might look at some 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 further testing. But I will usually look at doing at least some bloods, if not saliva, because um, they're you know a lot cheaper and and fairly easy. Um, so usually I'm just looking like, and especially if I'm trying to ascertain, you know, someone might be um, have a marina in. And so we don't know. They might not be having any bleeding or have any sense of what their cycle's doing, especially if they're not that body aware, then I might want to do some bloods to have a look at like FSH, um, seeing where they're at in their journey, especially if they might be, you know, like late 40s or early 50s, um, just to sort of see are they close to menopause or already transitioned into menopause because they could be still cycling or they might not be. So. but usually looking at just, you know, things like your, I, I like breaking down the estrogens if, if you can, um, but, you know, obviously looking at progesterone, I find that pretty much universally progesterone needs support. So it's, it's, mm. it's, um, it's um, really something to go, wow, that's, that's incredible, um, especially in that age group.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think I've seen two cases yeah. of, of elevated progesterone. Ever.
1: yeah wow yeah i've seen a, a, cu- a couple but never in someone um after 35
0: yeah uh talk to me about what you do in terms of like symptoms like reading symptoms or questioning when it, someone's had an ablation because i've had a, a few clients recently who've had really heavy bleeding and then they go and get this procedure called an ablation mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the, yeah Bing, you don't get being you don't get a period for ages, and they're very happy about that because they've gone from heavy, painful periods to not having to worry for a while, and mm-hmm. then eventually their, their periods start to come back lighter. Um, it depends. Like some come back sooner, some don't. But mm. how, what do you do when you come across someone who's had that procedure done? Like how do you figure out what their hormones are doing? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah,
1: ablations are interesting. I think they're quite common, I believe. You know, I see I see quite a few people that, that have them um, done for heavy bleeding. Um, but the thing is, sure, you're affecting, um, reducing the heavy bleeding, but you're not changing the hormones. So, um, you know, if there's some negative effects of, say, you've got your know, estrogens are metabolising down unhealthy pathways or that sort of thing, then we're not actually dealing with that. And, um, you know, they may still be having some of the, the other... They're going to still have all the other symptoms apart from the heavy bleeding, um, you know, and, and I think they're really important to address. Um, but if you, it's a bit like the marina. If they had an ablation and not cycling or they've got a marina and they're not cycling, then I like to try and encourage a woman to get in touch with their body in terms of just checking in and noticing um, different things like potentially fertile mucus or mood changes or cyclic breast tenderness or mood, oh, sorry, um, or any kind of like premenstrual-type symptoms like um, fluid retention, that sort of thing. And um, if they have a bit of a sense of that and then they have, you know, they might go, I was really, really irritable, and then I had a really good day, and then I was fine for a little while. That really good day is likely day one of their,
0: yeah,
1: non non existent period, you know. Yeah. But also, yeah, just just trying to to capture if you if they if they do have some of that sense, then maybe looking at you know trying to do some testing at appropriate times of a you know a cycle. Um, but I think still treating them as though they have that. Hormone um, imbalance because that's going to help all the other symptoms.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, it sounds to me like that hormone imbalance. I mean, if they ended up with an ablation, it's big, you know usually because estrogen was mm. a, a little high. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of what we've been talking about today has it, it is we, it is estrogen day here at the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of this is our um, estrogen. And it's roller coaster. So, in terms of naturopathic treatments for you know when you do see someone come through who's got these estrogen difficulties, uh, where do you start with them?
1: If so, often you're wanting to do multiple, I guess, actions. So, dealing with the estrogen is one. You probably also. Um, At the same time, want to be looking at supporting progesterone and looking at liver health and gut health and all sorts of different things. Um, But basically from a, a, I guess, a a naturopathic perspective, you know, looking at from a dietary perspective, we want like an anti-inflammatory diet, looking at reducing foods that potentially, you know, that individual might have trouble with or um, looking at just generally a healthy anti-inflammatory diet. Um, looking at their lifestyle, making sure, as you said, like so, looking specifically at estrogen, which is your question. Um, I still think lifestyle, even things like endocrine disruptors, looking at plastics and fragrances and pesticides and all of that sort of thing. Um, looking at body weight, if um, someone you know is carrying a bit more fat mass, they're going to be producing more estrogen. Um, so just looking at um, you know healthy body weight. Um, and then, in terms of actual naturopathic medicines, um, we, you know in terms of foods, we could look at oh sorry well foods as medicines, you know you fight at estrogens like leggings and um and seeds and like sorry flax seeds and uh, that sort of thing, alfalfa, all those because they can dock on estrogen receptors. And um, prevent the more potent endogenous estrogen from docking, so just minimising through that competitive advan- that competitive inhibition, yep. um, and so that can be really helpful. And you can use herbs, I guess, that have those phytoestrogen benefits, um, and they also have a role, in, I believe, in um, helping with speeding up metabol- metabolism of estrogen. Um, iodine is important so either iodine rich foods or iodine supplementation for down regulating the estrogen receptors and then using things that help upregulate regulate that um, detoxification through the liver um, and supporting bowel excretion like calcium deglucrate or methane and um, obviously in that you know looking at methane, looking at food again you know your cruciferous vegetables are really important so i often think cruciferous vegetables Seeds and and legumes um, from a dietary perspective, low inflammatory foods, and then um, lower alcohol, which is sad to me because I enjoy yeah. my wine, but
0: no, it's you know every time every time oh. I speak with someone about perimenopause, mm-hmm. yeah, we've we, I've done a couple of these now, and every guest, every every time. Mm-hmm. They say, "Sorry, ladies, but the one yes. might need to be
1: downgraded." <sighs> yes, a yeah. Night. It's actually surprising how little, um, how little you you need to drink to actually affect your estrogen levels. Mm. So it's a lot less than what we would consider. I guess even light light drinking, you know.
0: Yeah. So um,
1: it's it's that's a sucky one, but you know <sighs> it's, a, it's a
0: thing. Why, why, <laughs> why? But you know, it, it like you find me a perimenopausal woman who didn't increase their wine intake over COVID. Yeah right like it's yeah it's a problem um so yeah look it it, now that you know now that we're allowed back into the world and and the lockdowns are done and all of that if the wine intake is still up there then maybe maybe it's time to uh, revisit that i think
1: yeah it is it sorry it is it I reckon it's a really tough one because there's such an emotional co- connection. You know, it's a, it's one of those habits that yeah, obviously has some detrimental effects, but has a lot of rewards as well. And um, you know, it's um, yeah, that habit changing is can be quite difficult for some.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a you know, if 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 all the stuff going on in the world plus the hormonal imbalances, and the roller coaster makes us feel tired or anxious or like of course Mm. like we do kind of reach for more alcohol uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of us but yeah it's it's definitely like you are the third person who said this I'm quite sure really on this podcast I'm wow I know Kylie Pinwheel said it I'm pretty sure I think Lara Bryden said it as well like I'm pretty sure you're the third person to say this and so I'm sorry Listeners, I can't find you any naturopaths who work in this space who thinks that who think that wine is a good thing to increase. So apart from sorry. just for fun, it's it's a fun
1: thing, but it's not a good thing for for hormonal health. That's
0: yeah, for sure. It's a sometimes mm. food. Um,
1: yes, it's sometimes food. <laughs> really. So
0: what what else is in your chosen anti-inflammatory diet kind of protocols? Because like there are a few different anti inflamm diets out there. So tell me what you do. Mm.
1: Well, I think. As it depends on where the person's at with their diet. Obviously, you 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 match them where they are. You know, I have some people that come in who are eating takeaway every day and I have some people that come in and they have a diet that I reckon is better than my diet, you know. And, and so um, there's a really, it would depend on where they're at and how their symptoms then match the diet. Um, but I would say the big things for me would be things like um, processed vegetable oils um sugar sugar so so from if someone's eating a highly processed diet or eating out a lot the the oils and the sugar would be my biggest concern um and also potentially looking at a1 um cows cows protein like um as a as a potential inflammatory i think especially with hormones i find that got um, moving to a two like goats and sheeps or a two cows, milk or removing dairy for a little while can sometimes help a number of different um, period issues. Mm, um. Yep. So I hate that because I love cheese. But uh... oh well,
0: if you're not having wine, what's the point of cheese, Vanessa? I know, I know,
1: <laughs> I know. I often joke about that with, with my poor people. I'm like, I know I'm taking away like the best meal of the week, right. which is the cheese yeah. platter with some wine. Friday
0: night's just got really shit. It's- <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. But um, but it's a good thing to play with. And, you know, there are some other options to look at as in the more gentle A2 um, based like Guernsey or Jersey milk or goats or sheep's um, products. So, you know, and just minimizing that. Um, I think grains and especially glutinous grains um, might need to be looked at depending on their presentation. And I think that a lot of people could do with doing like a one-month detox of things like dairy, grains, sugar, like refined sugars, refined vegetable oils, and just focusing on if they eat, um, if they're omnivorous, eating, you know, animal proteins, big variety of vegetables um, and different plant foods like fruits and nuts and seeds and potentially legumes if they if their tummy Likes them, um, and just doing that real clean out, potentially even looking at the alcohol and coffee, so a bit of a detox and then reintroduction, and just seeing how their body responds when they go and have that milkshake or go and have that burger and you know, ha- how do they feel? So,
0: yeah, and I think that vegetable oils one, that processed oils one, is a really good one to remember because mm. we we do forget that one sometimes. We're like, oh, yeah, no, I need to, like you know, it's add massive the gluten, the dairy, the sugar, da, 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 da. but. Yeah. If you're eating out eating I guarantee out. you ninety nine point nine percent of places are going even the to- best restaurants. No- do you know what? Can I tell you a story? Sure. I, I-, I won't name names, but um, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was no no I won't name names, but back-, back in the day and we're talking a fair while ago, um, yeah. I was I used to do like um, a bit of work doing healthy events and mm-hmm. sometimes we would do events out of like retreats and and high-end places where they would have like a really healthy menu, like um you know, like places that really marketed themselves as being extremely healthy. And I was doing an event and I was in the kitchen with the chefs at this particular establishment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I this is when I tweaked, right? this is when I tweaked the Barrels of canola (gasps) oil that were stacked up against the back door of the kitchen. Like they're they're like they were like the size of beer kegs or bigger. Yes. Like these massive tins of canola oil. And that's when I realized I was like, oh my God, your amazing menu that you have with all your local seasonal Mm -hmm. or Organic vegetables and berber and I'm like with your you know beautifully sustainably caught seafood and your grass fed blah 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 and I'm like cooked in canola oil oh my yep. god oh my god yep. oh my god I can't unsee this holy shit um, and that's when I realised if if places like that are doing it like the chances ah. of people not doing it are pretty slim I do know there's a couple of places around sort of Byron. I do know of one or two places in Byron Bay and and maybe up here that would pride themselves on not using those sorts Mm -hmm. of vegetable oils, but they will say on their menu, we do not use processed vegetable oils because, and then they'll have a little write up. Um, And I remember one of them was like a, I think it was like a Malaysian style or something, some sort of Asian style place in Byron. And it was like, oh my God, like, because they personally felt strongly about it. But yeah. it's so much more expensive to cook that way.
1: Exactly, um, it actually costs the restaurant a lot more yeah. if they're going to go for olive oil or yeah. um, coconut oil.
0: or But and even gosh. if they're dressing, even if they're dressing yes. your dish in a beautiful swirl of like olive oil that's come from a farm where you know like <laughs> the pickers were barefoot and everything's grown organically, <laughs> that doesn't mean that they cooked your chicken in that. They that's exactly right. Up. They dress your dish anyway, so sorry to ruin everyone's night out forever yeah. and everyone's yeah. takeaway forever. But I mean, it doesn't mean you can't eat out, and it doesn't mean you should be scared of eating out. But if you, if you think that's what you're getting, it's not what you're getting. You're not yeah. getting healthy oils. Sorry, yes, yeah. Sauce. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, and it, yeah, I think it's a massive, I think we're going to see more of this. Um, you know, I'm hoping that we see more awareness around this, um, in the coming years. And I think I'd, I'd like to see more restaurants. M- being proud of that but like I grew up in hospitality I was in my sister's commercial kitchen literally like two months ago down in New South Wales and and they buy things in bulk even things like mayonnaise and you know like there's there's so many sources of um, vegetable oils in a meal that is made in a commercial kitchen unless the you know the um, establishment is really health conscious and knows that you know, that's not the right thing to do. Um, But they might go, okay, we don't use curl oil, but we use grapeseed oil, which is Mm. probably just as, probably as bad. No, but But, um...
0: isn't that one heart (laughs) foundation approved, Vanessa?
1: oh my god don't get me started on bloody ticks we we have a joke walking around supermarkets <laughs> finding the best ticks like we we found some olives that had one tick and then we oh found some like tiny teddies or something that had like oh no one star and then some tiny teddies that had three stars and we're just like what because <laughs> yeah, olives are very fatty. very they fatty. are they've got too much fat in them yeah, exactly exactly oh. <laughs>
0: Don't, no, we'll be here a day. We'll One just, star. We'll just rename this, you know, the ranty naturopath show.
1: Yeah. The ranty naturopath. The ranty irritable perimenopausal naturopath show. Monkey. We need to take some of our own advice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh dear all right my love well look that's that's been this whole conversation's been really enlightening and i know Aww. very useful and and helpful for so many women out there and um so many husbands will be thanking you as well i'm sure yes and, and, children <laughs> and other household members so um look if 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 someone's if if someone's listening to this and they are vibing with you and they would like to connect with you what is the best way that they can find you online
1: Okay well I've got a website that um has a bit about me and how you can um you know if they're interested I off, I do offer a 20 minute um free consultation for anyone that is thinking about um coming on board and has some questions or wants to get to know me first um so that's on available on my website and that's vanessa and then i've also got facebook vanessa lamaro naturopath and instagram vanessa lamaro naturopath that's about it awesome all
0: right well, people your way
1: and lastly <laughs> thank you
0: <laughs> thank you so so much for spending some time uh with us all today like it, it really has been amazing and i, I oh. do know it. it's very much needed at the moment so yeah thank you for mm. everything that you do Thank you for
1: inviting me, Jules. Always a pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to Straight Talking Natural Health. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, head over to my website at julesgalloway.com. There's a free quiz on there to see if you're at risk of burnout. I also have an amazing e-book called Heal Your Adrenals, which is a must for any woman with adrenal dysfunction, aka adrenal fatigue. When I'm not podcasting, I'm seeing clients all over the world via Zoom. I love working with fatigue, thyroid issues, autoimmunity, pyral disorder, mold illness, and complex cases to name just a few. So why not book in and let's work together? All of this and more is available right now over at julesgalloway.com. That's all from me for the time being. I look forward to diving in with you again in the next episode. Bye for now.